This is the What Now Podcast. People, lots of times they're hard on other people. They're even harder on themselves. What the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us to do, it teaches us to look at ourselves and our experiences in this life and the things that we're not doing correctly or that impact others in a negative way or that keep us from drawing close to Jesus Christ to make those changes in ourselves. This is the What Now Podcast, where we explore the stigma that surrounds certain cultural norms in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in an effort to create more understanding, hope, and healing. I am your host, Mary Alice Hatch. Join me as we discuss the sensitive topic of repentance, which is often surrounded by guilt, shame, and fear. Join me as I speak with YSA Bishop Brett Smith about the important role a thoughtful bishop can play in helping those who are willing break free from the burden caused by their mistakes and focus on progression and potential instead of on past mistakes and setbacks in an effort to draw closer to Christ. Today we're here with Brett Smith, who is currently a YSA bishop. Our discussion today is designed to help address the stigma that surrounds repentance. Many youth and adults have a negative association with repentance, and when they repent, they often feel bad about themselves and the things they have done. So today we're going to try and reduce some of that stigma by having an open discussion with Bishop Smith here today. So welcome. We're so glad you're here. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) So as a bishop, how do you view repentance? So my idea of repentance has changed as I've experience being the bishop. I think we talk about repentance sometimes, and we always think about when we make a mistake, there's always we have to talk about it, and then there's a consequence associated with it, and it seems like lots of times it's a real negative, there's negative connotations associated with any of those circumstances. And so as a bishop, I sent you a few things to look at, but one of the things that I sent you to to look at was in the Bible dictionary defines repentance, and this is really summarizes how I feel about repentance. It says, the Greek word of which this is the translation denotes a change of mind, a fresh view about God, about oneself, and about the world. Since we were born into conditions of mortality, repentance comes to mean a turning of the heart and will to God and a renunciation of sin to which we're all naturally inclined. The words I like there is it talks about it's a change of mind, a fresh view about God, about oneself, about the world. And I think lots of times when we're dealing with repentance or talking about it, we don't catch sight or we even lose sight of that important point. Yeah, that is so true. So repentance, it can be a vulnerable experience and really feeling comfortable. When people come in, they're kind of broken and they're worried about what the experience is going to look like. And so what is your approach when someone comes to you to repent? So one of the things that I guess you kind of learn along the way, it's not, there's lots of things to read and there's lots of training that the church has. You have to read it and study it and think about it. But I think as I experienced circumstances with people, I just naturally certain things happen. I think the spirit guides you and helps you to know some things that you should do. But when somebody comes into my office, I mean, the fact that they're coming is awesome. Yeah. For whatever the reason, the fact that they're coming in my awesome. Because come and talk to somebody that sometimes you may know or you may not know me at all, and you have to come in and then you have to share very, very personal things. That right there makes it really, really difficult and really challenging. And so when somebody comes in, there hasn't been anybody that's ever come into my office to talk to me about something that's bothering them that I feel like I need to make them feel worse than they already feel. I mean, when they come in that door, they've got a heavy heart and a heavy mind and they're worried about their personal salvation and things associated with that. And so 
what I try to do is I, I don't want them to feel any worse than they are. I feel the fact that they come in the door, now they're here, we can start to work. And so I let them kind of share with me. I kind of have a normal format that I take, but it may change based on circumstance or somebody else. But usually when they come in, I always ask if we can start with a prayer. And I always ask them to pray because I like to hear them talk to God and just see that tells me a little bit kind of sometimes about where they're at and what's going on is listening to them pray. And then I'll spend a few minutes before we start, just, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me about your family. So I can kind of get to know who they are. I love that you're getting to know them as a whole person, not just coming in and, okay, let's address the yeah, repentance. Let's, let's get right to it, right? Because again, I think any of those insights might help me in what we're doing. Once in a while, though, somebody will come in and I can see that they can come in. I can tell we need to talk right now. And so if that's the case, we'll dispense with that. I'll let them kind of start talking about the things that are on their mind. And then we'll kind of get to know each other a little bit and then we'll go on. But usually I try and get to know them. And then after we do that, then I'll just say, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about what's going on. What are you worried about? And sometimes it's easy for people to share those things and other times it's not. So I've had circumstances where somebody will kind of sit there and they're thinking about what to say and how to say it. And so I'll say, hey, well, how about if I just ask you a few questions? And Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> and then you can tell me, you know, if I can get close, hey, well, tell me, is it what's going on? Is it something like this? And, and sometimes that will help them. And then the other part of that is I don't feel like I need to know every single detail. Somebody comes in to talk about something. I just need to get a general sense of what happened. Yeah. And then sometimes if it's like with sexual sins or things that are more serious, I need to know a little bit more information. I might need to know, okay, well, tell me, you know, the last time that happened. Tell me the frequency. I need to understand a few of those things just so I can know how we move forward. And then after we talk about that, then we don't go to that point anymore. And I explain to them, I say, listen, I say, what I want you to think about now, now that we've talked about that, I may have to ask another question or two at some point when you know we're going through this process. But now that we've talked about that, whatever's happened, we're not going to talk about that anymore. I don't want you to go back to that and beat yourself up about it. Because it's probably such a relief because it takes so much courage to just come in and share that and to have to keep going back and visiting that right. bad experience. Or And they already do that. They already do that anyway. When they're going to leave my office, they're going to do that. They've been doing that forever. How long? I can't believe I did that. How did I do that? Why did I do that? I'm so dumb. Whatever the self-talk is in your head mm -hmm. that they're feeling. Yeah. And so I say, listen, it'd be great if we could go back and change the past. We can't. That's what repentance is for. So what we're going to do is the only time I'm going to ask you to look back there is if there's something that we can learn from that experience Mm -hmm. that's going to help us as we move forward. But we're going to spend the rest of the time now looking forward, not looking backwards. I love that focus on progression. Okay, so you can't fix the past. You can't live in the past. You can only live in the present. Right. And that present experience will manifest your destiny in the future, right? Yeah. If certain behaviors need to change, then now's the time to do it. That's the hard thing is so many people look back gosh, but I did that and I did that. And they just feel like they can't progress. And that's where it seems like a bishop is really helpful if a bishop approaches it in the right way to help them see, yes, you can get past it. Yes, you can get over the addiction. You know, some kids have a cycle of sin and some kids are like a one-off and it just has lingered forever. And that's an important thing, that, that part that you're talking about there. Yeah. So I guess I like that you're getting to know them and having them talk and seeing, okay, is this... A repetitive sin 
and something that keeps happening and we really need to dig our heels in and help this guy? Or is this like a one-off thing that might be easier to get past, right? Because your yeah. approach would be different. It would be very different. Yeah. So one of the things that I've learned is, let's say, for example, that you have somebody that has been sexually molested in their past or something. That really impacts how they think about anything sexual. It changes how they interact with those things. It changes their feelings about those things. And so sometimes I think we think that, hey, I really feel bad. I messed up. I want to fix this and I'm going to change. Then you have other circumstances surrounding those things that make it a little bit harder to change. It's not impossible, but makes it harder and it might take time. That's the other thing that I think that we have. Well, I guess in this world, we have this expectation, right? Because things happen so quickly. You can get everything quickly and you can get it now. Mm-hmm. We want to fix it and we want to do it right now. And repentance isn't something that really happens like that most of the time. Yeah. And if it's something that's kind of deeply infiltrated and things have happened several times, it'll take more time to get over that. Yes. Right? Because some people think, okay, I'll go in, I'll repent, and then it's over. Whoosh, you know. I'm good. I can or... move on. I'm good. But that's not always the case if it's something that's repetitive or addiction-related or a traumatic experience. Right. So one of the things I'll tell, I mean, I've thought about this a lot in my life, but one of the things, you know, because people will say, you know, well, hey, why can't I just go out and enjoy life and do some of these things and then I can repent and I can fix those things and I can move on. And certainly you could do that. But one of the things that happens, so there's one of the things we know is there's consequences for our actions. So when we commit sin or when we go against God's commandments, there's consequences, and we don't get to choose. We choose the action. We don't get to choose the consequence. And so if you have the idea that, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to have some fun or do some things, you might create a pattern of behavior now that's hard to leave behind. It's not just a question of you've committed sin, but it's a pattern of behavior that you might get used to, that you might learn to like or enjoy or whatever. And then when you're talking about changing, that's a little bit different now. So those are some of the things I kind of have to assess when I'm talking to somebody is, just get a sense. And that's why I'll ask questions. Well, tell me how many times has it happened? Just so I can understand how I can help moving forward. Again, the handbooks and things don't talk about, you know, hey, you need to ask specific about this. But the new handbook does mention something about that. Because I've been reading it. it just says that you just kind of need to have an understanding of what happened. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't need specific detail. And that sometimes that makes people feel uncomfortable too when you get too much into the, yeah. the details They feel of interrogated a little bit. But really, it's just to get a deeper understanding of what the real problem is, right? That's right. Right. And then the seriousness of whatever it is, because then that will determine how we continue to work forward as we move on. So one of the things I compare this to, it's, it's funny, you know, my son, Wesley, he's our youngest, maybe it's about a year ago. The only time we really hear from him is if he needs something on his phone or if there's a big problem. Those are the two times when he'll call <laughs> us. And so I get this phone call and I don't remember what Shelly and I were out somewhere. Usually if we're out somewhere at a meeting or church meeting or somewhere, he doesn't call us and bother us, but I got this call and so I knew something was going on. And and so he's on the other phone and he's, dad, I'm, I really hurt, I hurt myself. I was at the skate park and he's talking so fast. I can't understand what he's saying, but he was at the skate park. He slipped off his board and he hurt his ankle and he was in major pain, right? We could tell. And so Shelly and I knew enough to know at that point, hey, we need to get home and kind of help this boy because he's in major pain. Yeah. So we hurried home. And we got there and he's not crying, but he's emotional and he's hurting in a real big way. And so we call a friend of ours to come over who's a, he does physical therapy and that type of stuff just to look at it and see if we have, you know, what's going on. And he says, yeah, it looks like there's something going on. And so we get Wesley to see the doctor and he goes to see the doctor and the doctor looks at it. He's got a fracture in his ankle. He prescribes some meds so he can take some of the pain away. 
And so Wesley, we go to the doctor. He's the guy that can help Wesley. Wesley's in lots of pain. He addresses whatever the issue is. And then most of the pain's gone, but not all the pain's gone, right? And so then for this next period of time with Wesley and his ankle, so for him, he was off. He couldn't surf. He couldn't skate for like six or eight weeks, which, I mean, he surfs almost every day or he skates and he loves it. And, And so he couldn't do any of those things. But through that process of time, there was pain associated with this injury. There was memories of this that lingered in his mind. But over time, that got better and better, you know, over time. And so then the six or eight weeks or 10 weeks passes, his cast comes off, you know, his ankle is better. But the doctor says, hey, you have to take it easy because if you re-injure the ankle, we'll have to start this all over again and, yeah. and we can fix it. We'll have to go all through this. And so he had to take it a little easy for a while. But I think sometimes I look at that and I think that's what repentance is like, right? Somebody comes into my office and there's something that's heavy on their mind and they're in major pain there's guilt and whatever remorse and feelings associated with that and then when they come into my office my hope is is that we can talk and that when they leave my office after that first visit and i don't know exactly how this works this is the atonement of jesus christ we we know that he atoned and he paid for our sins and that he can take away the pain and the hurt and all the emotional things associated with that but when they leave my office after they talk just after the first time I know they feel a whole lot better. Are they 100% better? They're not. Are they 100% healed? They're not. But they feel so much better, right? That big weight is lifted. It's not there anymore. And then after that, then me and that person can focus on bringing them closer to Jesus Christ. That's what the process is about. There's something that caused them to step away, to get further away from Jesus Christ. They didn't obey one of his commandments. They did something that caused them to feel badly. And so now the process, after we understand what happened, is we're going to spend this time helping them come close to Jesus Christ. That's the healing process. Mm -hmm. I love that comparison to being injured and the pain you feel. And then when he leaves, the pain's better with the pain medication, but it's not totally gone. And that's a great comparison to repentance. You'd feel that burden kind of lifted when you go in, but it's not totally gone. And you have to do a few things to make the process complete and to move on. So I love that. I love that comparison. So that's why the process. So sometimes I know people will ask, I'll have new converts because they don't understand everything. Hey, Bishop, when do I need to come in and talk to you about something? And I know that members of our faith will say, hey, when do I need to talk to the bishop? Hmm. And when don't I need to talk to the bishop? If there's sexual transgressions, those are usually things that need to be handled with the bishop. And there's a lot of things that could be associated with that. You know, if there's addictive behavior and you're really, there's something with, you know, substances or pornography or some of those things, I think that's a time to come talk to the bishop. The other time to come talk to the bishop is if you're having something weigh on your mind and cause you grief and trouble and worry that you can't let go of for whatever the reason. If you can't seem to work it out or let go of it, then you probably need to come talk to the bishop. And then we can kind of work it out together and figure out, you know, what's going on and then how I can help you to move forward. So what do you say to people who feel like, well, I have a great relationship with God. Why do I have to go to a bishop and a state president and and have them judge me and have them give me clearance on how I can live my life? What do you say to people like that who feel that way? Yeah, so the first thing I'd say before I even answer that is remember that I'm an imperfect individual. You can ask Shelly. She'll tell you that I've got lots of issues. (laughs) We all do. (laughs) But I'm asked now to sit in the chair 
And I'm asked to be the judge in Israel and to make judgments on other imperfect people when I'm imperfect. And some of those things that they may have experienced or done, I may have done. And that's humbling. When you have to sit in that place, when I have to sit there, that's not an easy thing to do. And so as I sit there and as I've thought about it, you know, over the months and years that I've served as the bishop is I want to make sure that I do the right thing. I want to make sure that I'm kind and I'm loving and I'm understanding I want to make sure that if I make any mistake, I want people to say, Bishop Smith was too easy on me. He was too nice to me, rather than them go out of my office saying that he was too harsh mm-hmm. or he handled me too in whatever way. And I'm sure I've made mistakes. I'm sure there might be people that have come in to see me that feel like I didn't do the best job at it. But remember that each one of us that's called, you know, we're a imperfect individuals. And there's lots of training. There's lots of things. But what I bring to the table as the bishop is I bring my whole life's experience. So the way I handle being bishop is the same way I handle all the other parts of my life, you know, good and bad, right? I bring, you know, my experiences of life and that's how I deal with some of those things. And so sometimes that makes it a challenge too for, you know, the bishops. I don't think there's anybody that sits in the bishop's chair that doesn't really feel like, hey, I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. I want to make sure I'm handling things the right way, even though we may make some mistakes. So I think it's important that people also understand, I didn't ask for this. I wasn't, you know. It's volunteer work. I I wasn't out promoting (laughs) myself and running for office. I (laughs) just, you know, I was called. And so, but it's a lot. I like what you're saying about your experience and how you deal with business or whatever it is also kind of pertains to how you lead out as a bishop. And that's interesting because some bishops can be very harsh and unforgiving, and maybe that's their background. Maybe that's their experience. Maybe that's how they were raised or what they dealt with or how they were treated. And that might be how they even look at themselves. You know, I find that people, lots of times that are hard on other people, they're even harder on themselves. So it's important that we kind of look at that perspective, right? When you're dealing with somebody. And also, we have to recognize that it's not fair for me to say as a bishop, well, gee, I was raised this way and I learned all these things and that's why I handle things that way. That's not fair for me to do that either. So I have to take enough responsibility about me to say, hey, you know, there's probably some things I need to learn and I can change and I, I want to do a little bit better, a little bit different. And I mean, isn't that what the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us to do? It teaches us to look at ourselves and our experiences in this life and the things that we're not doing correctly or that impact others in a negative way or that keep us from drawing close to Jesus Christ to make those changes in ourselves. And so I think as a bishop, I've tried to change and adjust and learn and grow along the way so that you know I can maybe do a better job of helping individuals. And one of the things that, so our last state president, one of the things that he used to always say that I really loved is, is he's a doctor and he would say, let's make sure that the Band-Aid is just big enough to fit the wound. It doesn't need to be any bigger than the wound. And I like that frame of reference that is worth thinking about because people are coming in and they're wounded and they're hurt. And so let's make sure that we dress the wounds, that we take care of them, but that the bandage isn't any bigger than it needs to be. Interesting. That kind of leads into what I wanted to ask you next is why do members have to be restricted when they've sinned? You know, no sacrament, waiting for their mission calls, church disciplinary councils. Why is that all in place? Because you look back in the scriptures that the woman who was caught in adultery and Christ asking those around who are without sin to cast the first stone and then asking the woman to leave and sin no more and that's it. It's over. So now it seems like we have a lot of restriction and that's really hard for a lot of people. So can you speak to that a little yeah. bit? So I'm glad you sent me the questions in advance because this is one I had to think about some. So 
I went back and I read that. So in John 8, 11, that instance when you're talking about the woman taken in adultery. So we kind of know the story, but in John 8, 11, or 8, 10, he says, you know, when the woman comes up, they're getting ready to stone her. And he goes through his, hey, he does without sin cast the first stone. And then all of a sudden, everybody kind of looks and goes, hey, well, that's not me. I'm, I'm going to slink I'm on out. out of here. I'm out. <laughs> and then he says, he says, woman, where are thine accusers? And then she says, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, there's a Joseph Smith translation that adds a little bit more. And that says, and the woman glorified God from that hour and believed on his name. So as I thought about this, I looked this up a little bit. President Kimball asked the question. He says, but did the Lord forgive the sin? It doesn't say there that he forgave the sin. We kind of make that assumption that he did. I don't know that he did or didn't. We also don't know what transpires after that. He says to her, he says, you know, I want you to go and sin no more. And then it says that, and the woman glorified God from that hour and believed on his name. So it sounds like she made some changes and she was going to be different as she moved on, but we don't have all the information. I think that one of the reasons that's in there is I think as we look at how did Jesus Christ handle this situation, this might be more for us as members of our faith to learn about not judging and understanding and being kind and loving to people. I mean, I know we all understand this, but when somebody comes into our church service and they're not dressed appropriately, and if they smell of tobacco or alcohol, what do most of us as members think? We think, what is that person doing here? And what we should think is, we are so happy that you're here with us today. Welcome. You know, we're glad that you're here. And I know that we feel that, but sometimes we just don't connect all those dots. And I think Jesus Christ was telling us that we need to be not quick to judge. Because if you look at that circumstance, he didn't judge. Mm -hmm. And if anybody could have judged, he could have judged her, right. right? He could have judged. He didn't judge. He was kind. He was loving. He was understanding. He encouraged her. He didn't condemn her. He said, go and sin no more. And so I think it's not as simple as we say that he, she was necessarily forgiven. But now what happens, the most important part is what she does after the fact, what happens with the rest of her life. Yeah. And we don't know the story, but it sounds like as she went forward that she didn't do that anymore. It sounds like she had a change of heart, right? She recognized she divinity. She recognized probably the spirit that she felt and the love she felt from that man who saved her life, right? And also the lesson not to judge. Hey, if any of you are perfect, then go ahead, throw that stone. But he knows none of them are perfect and that he's the only perfect person. He knew what was going to happen. And it's just a beautiful example of him kind of defending this woman in a loving way. Yeah. And so we've all heard these stories, right? You've probably heard stories of people that they have this major transgression in their life and then they live for years and years and years. They don't tell anybody about it and they change their ways and they don't commit that sin anymore and they, they go on to do good things. And then at some point they feel like they need to confess this and go and they come in and talk to somebody. And usually... My experience when I've heard the story is they come in and they talk to a bishop or a stake president and he says, why did you wait so long? Because even though they haven't done, they've been troubled for a long time. Yeah. And then so what they'll say is, well, that happened so long ago. You've changed your life. You're good. There's nothing to worry about here. Don't worry about it anymore. Get rid of it. Stop thinking about it. So I think sometimes the reason that they need to come to talk with the bishop is there's twofold. There's one somehow in a way we don't understand when you confess that sin to a bishop who's the judge in Israel. The pain and the frustration and the discouragement and all the negative feelings you have associated with that circumstance, those through the atonement of Jesus Christ will disappear mostly right away. 
right? Not all the way, but mostly they'll disappear. So that's the first part. And then the second part is the bishop is I find that all of my interactions with people coming in after that, we're talking about, tell me what you're doing. So when somebody comes in and, and so we've gone through that process, they've confessed and we've said, okay, we understand what's going on. Then I'll talk with them and I'll spend, depending on where they're at, we may have lots more visits as we're going forward. And the reason we're visiting is because I give them assignments. So some of the things that I gave you to read, you know, I'll give them a conference talk and I'll say, read this talk, listen to this podcast. And then when we get together next week, I want you to share with me what stuck out to you, what you learned from that, what was important to you. Yeah. And then we'll get together and talk. And you're giving them tools to heal. I'm giving them tools and I'm helping them. Again, my job and my role as first of all is to be judge. But then after that, it's to help them come closer to Jesus Christ. And so that's the part in the process. So getting back to Wesley and the, and the cast and the doctor, right? He saw the doctor, the pain went mostly away, but now he has six or eight weeks where he has to heal. Mm-hmm. And so that's really, I think, the most important reason why you're meeting with the bishop is so he can help you heal, so he can help you draw close to Jesus Christ. So I can say to them when they come in and they say, Bishop, I don't think I'm doing so good. I'm having a hard time. I I feel like I want to do that again. Or sometimes people in patterns of behavior will slip up, right? And they'll say, you know, I really did feel bad, but I slipped up again. And I'll say to them, I'll say, listen, you're doing good. You know, keep doing the good things. Let's focus on the good things that you're doing. You know, what good things happened this week, right? Okay, you got back to reading the Book of Mormon. You read that conference talk. How did that make you feel? Well, it made me feel pretty good. Well, good. So let's focus on that. And then the other thing that we're all caught up in in our faith is this idea of perfection. And perfection is wonderful, but it's probably one of the worst things we've ever done to ourselves because we talk about perfection and and we're not going to be perfect in this life. And so I don't talk about that. What I say is I say, listen, what I'm focused on is progress. Yeah. is That's what we're focusing on is progress. So if you come in and we visit and I see even a tiny bit of progress from last week, we're going to celebrate that progress because that means we're moving in the right direction. And that is so encouraging for someone who's trying to get past something serious or behavior that is destructive to them. If they can see progress and they have you acknowledge progress, maybe they aren't able to see yet. That's so motivating and it just helps them stay on the path. Well, so one of the things that I definitely see is maybe it's with all of us, but I'm this younger generation, they're really hard on themselves. They are really, really hard on themselves. And so like I said before is when they come in, I don't feel ever like I need to make them feel any worse. I feel like I need to pick them up and help them dust themselves off and make them feel better about themselves. And so I know that when we're thinking about things that if we can focus on progress, Anthony Robbins says that progress equals happiness. I think it's how he phrased it, right? So if we focus on the progress and what are the good things we're doing, what are the things that we need to work on a little bit? And then I'll also help them, you know, for example, you know, one of the things that is, I guess it's funny in that when people come in, I deal with couples a lot. And we know in a YSA ward, when we've got couples, we know the things that we're going to be dealing with. There's no surprise. And so when I have a couple come in, and we're talking about some of the maybe sexual things or some missteps in that department. One of the things I'll explain to them, I'll say, listen, you need to understand that God put these feelings in you. These feelings that you're having, that right. you can't stop thinking about this person, that you're having a hard time keeping your hands off That's this person. Normal. That is normal. These are all yeah. normal feelings. And so it's important to understand those aren't bad feelings. And sometimes I think when we talk about these things, we say, no. Sexual things are bad, and this is bad. It's not that. Heavenly Father designed it in a certain way. What he said is, I'm going to put these feelings in you, 
And I think the reason he put those feelings is because if we didn't have those feelings, nobody would ever end up together. Right. We wouldn't we get married. <laughs> we would never get together. And so, right. so we have those feelings. And he said that I've set certain boundaries that you need to work within. And so I'll work with a couple. I'll explain that to them. And then I'll say, there's a little video that I love. It's called Chastity, What Are the Limits? And it's a little whiteboard video where they draw a bunch of things. And they talk about a guy going over the falls and... And then also talks about this guy that's flying his plane and he gets too close to the trees. And so I'll, I'll ask them, I'll say, I want the two of you to watch this video. And where is that video? If you go to mormon.org or, LD, or uh, Mormon channel, yeah, lds.org or Mormon channel, look up chastity, what are the limits? You can watch it. And so when they go to that, I don't tell them what it's about. I say, what I want you to do is I want you to watch the video and I want you to tell me how you're going to stay flying 500 feet above the trees. So the pilot in his plane, yeah. you know, he determines that he has to stay a certain distance above the trees to completely be safe. Could you get closer to the trees? You can. But he says, I know if I'm 500 feet above the trees, I'm always going to be yeah, safe. Yeah, you're good. And so I'll say to them, make me a list, not a list of 10 things, a list of two or three things of the things that the two of you need to do to stay flying 500 feet above the trees. And then let's focus on that. Yeah. I like that, 500 feet above the tree. Safety zone. <laughs> right. What's your safety zone? So our natural people will ask, not often, but hey, Bishop, how far can I go? What's too far? Well, I, that's a question I can't answer. I mean, do I think that the members of my ward are not kissing and making out? They probably are. I think it'd be unrealistic for me to think that that's not going on, right? And when I talk to them, I say, listen, what does the for the strength of youth pamphlet say? It says that we shouldn't do anything that arouses those emotional feelings in another person. So that could be any of those things. But what I tell people is the part that we don't know is we don't, for one person, you may get to this place and that's too far and then they can't stop. And for another person, it's different. And so, Right, right. That's so, a good point. What's your breaking point? So, so you need to be careful. And I don't think in those instances, I don't think it's, we don't want to push those boundaries because if we err, we can be forgiven. The atonement of Jesus Christ takes care of those things. But that process, it creates pain and it creates difficulty and challenge. And, and so I think we need to just really approach those things in a real... The personal boundaries are good. It's good to know what your boundaries are. It's good to know what your weaknesses are and what situations you can handle and what you can't. I like that you're inviting them to write down a couple of things to help them be cognizant about it, right? Because you can think things in your head, but it's different when you're writing it down. And I give them an assignment together. I want the two of you. I want the two of you because it takes two. You, the couple, it can't be the guy that says, oh, you know, honey, you need to be the one that tells us when to right. stop. It can't be that. They have to both be on the same page. And yeah. so, and the other thing that I find, and I'll tell them, I'll say, listen, I'm sitting in this chair. I'm talking to lots of people. You're not the first ones. I know the adversary's playbook. Because I see it play out in this office and it plays out the same every time. And what he does with a couple is he'll say to them, one of the things that's always on that list is I'll say, listen, don't be sitting out in the car late at night together. Don't be alone in a room or be alone together at any time. And so what the adversary will do is, is he'll get them to be alone together and then nothing happens. And then he'll get them to be alone together again and nothing happens. They might do that three or four or five times. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how good of a person we are. If we put ourselves in harm's way enough times, chances are we're going to make the wrong choice. Yeah. So we need to not put ourselves in harm's way. And the adversary gets us to think that, well, if you're strong enough, you'll be able to resist. Or maybe you're just too weak. And that, But no, that's not it. I mean, we have these natural inclinations you know, this natural man and this natural woman. And the other thing I think that we don't recognize sometimes is I'm not 
going to say to people, hey, go out and sin because it's fun, it's enjoyable. But if there wasn't some things associated with sin that was attractive and in the short term gave people enjoyment or pleasure, it really wouldn't be a test, would it? What would be the test? Right. And what would be the draw? If you get no fulfillment from it, why would anyone sin? Yeah, well, it's really not a test. And so I say, listen, I understand that when somebody goes out and drinks and parties, I understand that short term, they probably might have an enjoyable time doing some of those things. But then when you have to step back and you have to look at the whole picture, the whole picture is, is how do you feel? How are you feeling about yourself? How does that make you feel about your life? And and I think when people are honest with themselves, Mm -hmm. they think differently about that. If somebody just goes out and does something one time, well, that's probably not a reasonable assessment to look at things because usually people just don't go out and do something one time. If they get in a pattern of behavior, they'll go out and do that a lot. Or they'll go out and do that multiple times and they'll establish a certain How do you help of- people dial it back then if they're in that behavior where they're just doing it and they feel like they are loving it so much and they, they don't really feel that bad about it, you know, because they're doing it so much. How do you get them to a point where they want to repent and they want to stop the behavior? Is it just they have to hit rock bottom or get yeah. in such... How does that yeah. look? They have to want to come in and talk to me, right? When somebody comes in, I explain to them, and there's lots of challenging issues that, that I deal with or that bishops deal with, but in a YSA ward, one of the other issues that's real challenging is we have LGBTQ issues, and those are really, really challenging issues to deal with. And so yeah. when I have, if they, once they come in, the fact that they're coming in the door, if they're coming in, that's a good sign, right? Because that means that they want to change. So in Doctrine and Covenants 18, it says, remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. For behold, the Lord your Redeemer suffered death in the flesh, wherefore he suffered the pain of all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. And he hath risen again from the dead, that he might bring all men unto him on conditions of repentance. And this is the important part, verse 13. And how great is his joy in the soul that repenteth. How great is his joy. So we think about the Savior, Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father. And me as a bishop, when somebody comes in that door, what I should do is I should jump up out of my seat and say, Woohoo! You're here! Let's get to work! I'm so excited! But I want them to feel that. And I thought, okay, if if Jesus Christ were sitting in this chair, how would he handle this circumstance? And that's what I use as a baseline. You know, my understanding of the Savior Jesus Christ, based on my studies and based on my learning and based on my experience, I try and approach it from that standpoint. Not that I am him, but that I would try and handle it how he might handle it. And I think that's a good frame of reference. And that's a great question to ask yourself for any bishops listening to this or ecclesiastical leaders to ask yourself that question. What would Jesus do? How would he handle this situation? It would change the whole frame of reference out from yourself and how you would handle it to Christ and how he would handle it. Yeah. And so we get back to the woman again, right? The woman committed, it was taken in adultery. How did he handle that situation? That's that he didn't condemn. He didn't say, hey, what are you stupid? Well, how could you go out and do that? And why would you do that? Don't you know the laws? And he didn't say any of those things. He just said, hey, don't do that anymore. And and when people come in and we talk about those things, so there's two things. You kind of ask the question of how if somebody doesn't want to. So let's say I've had somebody come in before and we were talking and this person said, well, I know I'm kind of doing some things that are wrong and I just don't feel really bad about it. And that kind of concerns me. And I said, well, I said, the fact that we're talking about it, that's a good thing, right? The fact yeah. that you recognize maybe those things are wrong and, you're, and it's not good, that's a good thing. So I said, how about if you and I just visit a few more times and let's visit? And so one of the things that we did is, okay, and I, I was kind of perplexed. I wasn't sure how to handle that either. And there's lots of times I have circumstances that I don't know. I mean, I'm not a counselor. I'm not, I mean, I don't know all these things. And so I'll say, hey, Heavenly Father, you know, you got to help me here. I need a little help to know what to do. 
And sometimes it comes right away and other times it takes a little time. But so with this instance, I just said, let's just spend a little time. I gave the person a few assignments and let's work to draw close to Jesus Christ. And so we started to do that over this period of time. And one of the things that I found, which was really interesting, as this person drew closer to Jesus Christ, they started to feel more badly about those things that had happened. And I thought that was really interesting. And so sometimes if we're a little far away, we might not feel as badly about something as we should because we're already distancing ourselves from Jesus Christ and from his teachings. And it seems like that's what a lot of people do who are in that cycle of sin or they want to distance themselves from the church or from reading their scriptures or praying because they don't want to feel bad about it. So they just kind of keep pushing it away and pushing it away to the point where they don't feel bad about it. And that distance, it's interesting when they start coming back and establishing the relationship again, how they do feel kind of bad about it and want to take care of it. And so this is the next question I wanted to ask you is just, you know, how can someone repent and get past their sins and move forward in faith? Because shame and guilt can really linger. So now, okay, they've become more vulnerable. They've gotten closer to Christ. They're back praying, reading their scriptures. Now they're like, okay, I I need to repent of this stuff. And I'm feeling really bad about this stuff. And then that cycle of guilt and shame can start. And I think that's why a lot of people avoid repentance because of that process can be so painful and bring remembrance to them about, I know I shouldn't have done that, you know, and then that cycle starts. What advice do you give to kids to help them get past that? So before I get to that, you just touched on something I want to talk just a little bit more about. So that, that part, so I think all of us, the natural inclination when we do something that we're ashamed of or we feel badly about is we think that Heavenly Father doesn't want to hear from us. I can't pray tonight because I messed up today, and Heavenly Father certainly doesn't want to hear from me after I did something that stupid. I've felt that personally before, right? Or how can I read my scriptures? And one of the things that I encouraged, I said, listen, those are the times that you need to reach out. You need to say, hey, Heavenly Father, I'm so sorry. I really do want to fix this, and I know I messed up. And I tell him, I said, talk to him like you're talking to me and just tell him what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what you're worried about. Those are the times that we really need to reach out. The other thing that you asked the question about guilt and shame, and I'll cover this most times with people that come out and say, listen, tell me the difference between guilt and shame, because one is good and the other is not. So what is the difference between guilt and shame? Yeah. Well, guilt gets you to repent and shame lingers and makes you feel bad about yourself. Yeah. And what I say is, is so shame is, and the adversary, he loves shame. He works in this like crazy. Shame is, I am bad. It eats away at your identity, too. And if he gets mm-hmm. us to think that I am bad, if I am bad, then that means I can't change because I'm bad. What guilt says is, I did something bad. If I did something bad, then that means I can change that behavior. The adversary wants us to believe that we can't change the behaviors, that we can't fix it, we can't change it. Shame is not something we're going to do here. And that's why guilt, we talk about the sin in the past. Like I said, I may go back to it. I may say, okay, so now let's go back. When that incident's happened the last time, Tell me some things now that you can look back and learn from that. What are some things we want to learn from that instance that are going to help us so that we don't have that happen again and are going to help us as we do better in the future? And so the other thing that I have to testify to them is I have to say, listen, Heavenly Father loves you. One of the things that it's been really awesome, I can't speak for any other bishop, but I get somebody that will come into my office, and lots of times I know people, but sometimes somebody might come in that I've never met before. So they come in, never seen them. I've never met them. We're talking for the first time. And I have this overwhelming sense of love for this person. I know it doesn't come from me. It can't possibly. And so I think one of the gifts that at least I feel like I've been given, and hopefully all bishops receive this, and I think they probably do, 
is I think Heavenly Father helps us to feel, in a sense, the kind of love he has for his children. Because if I can feel that love for that person that Heavenly Father has, that's going to help me approach that circumstance and that situation maybe in a little bit better way. It's going to help me to be a little bit more kind and a little bit more understanding and try and help encourage that person. I try and most of what I'm doing for 80%, the the little teeny part at the beginning, that 5 or 10% is what happened. The other 90% of the time is now what are we doing to move on, to change, to impact that change? And it takes time. And and I said one of the talks I sent you was Tad R. Callister's talk on oh, how I know I'm forgiven. So great, right? I discovered that one. It, it's so simple, but he talks about two things. And I have people read this one. This is one of my faves too. Is I'll have them read this because you know they'll want to know as we're going through the process. Well, how do I know, Bishop, when I'm forgiven? How do I know when it's the right time to go back to the temple? Yes, and he makes right. a great point in his talk about that. So this is what he says. So he says when I served as mission president. Missionaries often ask these two questions. How do I know when I'm forgiven for my sins, number one? And number two, if I am forgiven, why do I still feel guilt? So first one, he says, if you feel the Spirit, when you pray, read the Scriptures, teach, testify, or at any other time, then that is your witness that you have been forgiven, or alternatively, the cleansing process is taking place. So as a bishop, that's one of the things we talk about. Yeah. Hey, tell me how you're feeling. What's going on? Are you, well, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I feel like I'm feeling more of the spirit. Well, that's a good thing, right? That means that this thing's happening. It's going along. And then the other thing, I feel like I'm cheerleading a lot of the time because I'll say, come on, you got this. You're doing so good. Just keep moving forward. Yeah. Don't get discouraged. It takes time. And then the second part, he says, on some occasions, I believe our sins are cleansed before the guilt goes away. So remember I said that when somebody comes in, I don't know exactly how it works, but most of the bad, after one time, they feel so much better, right? Why is that? Perhaps in God's mercy, the memory of that guilt is a warning, a spiritual stop sign that cries out when similar temptations confront us. Don't go down that road. You know the pain it can bring. Perhaps those in the process of repenting is meant to be a protection, not a punishment. Yes, I love that, the protection, not a punishment, and that it comes to your remembrance to protect you to not do it again. Right. Totally mind shift. I've made some major mistakes in my life, and I can think back now years and years ago to those mistakes, and I remember those things, but I don't have any pain or guilt. I don't have any of those things associated with it. I just know that, hey, that was a stupid thing to do, and I didn't do it again. I mean, sometimes it's funny. I laugh because my kids will call up sometimes, and they'll do stupid things, and I'll want to say, what is the matter with you? Are you some (laughs) kind of idiot? And then I'll catch myself and I think, oh, my heavens, that isn't anywhere near as stupid as the time I did. Yeah. That, right. And I'll think back and so I'll think, oh, I need to be a little bit more I kind, can trump a little that, bit actually. more understanding. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about it. Just make sure you don't do that again. Yeah. When I'm talking to somebody, one of the things that was really hard for me to get my arms around is when somebody should partake of the sacrament. Sometimes we see that somebody's transgressed and they don't partake of the sacrament. And so I thought about this when I've researched and looked in the handbook and I've looked to read stuff about it and there's not a lot about that. And I kind of, as I sat there thinking about it, I thought, well, don't we need the sacrament because we come on Sunday and that's the reason we come. That's the most important part is we come to partake of the sacrament so that we can renew our covenants and think about our behaviors that we wanna change as we move forward. And so one of the things that I do, and this is just the way I think about it, but I think that sometimes when we've committed some kind of a sin or transgression, that there may be a a duration of time, and in my mind, it's a very short duration of time, where we don't partake of the sacrament. And the reason for that is I'll tell somebody, I said, listen, two things. I'll say, 
number one, somebody will come in and they'll say, hey, you know, this went on and done. I haven't been taking the sacrament. You should always take the sacrament unless the bishop, you're meeting with the bishop and the bishop says, don't take the sacrament. That's the only time you shouldn't take and the sacrament. And why should you not take the sacrament for people who so, don't understand so that? I, well, and it's this is only my personal opinion, but I feel like for a, a short period of time, when you sit in that meeting that's so important and we're seeing the emblems of the sacrament, we don't partake. I think that I want them to think about how important that is for them, what that means and what that's about, and just that, hey, this is something that I really need. And and I think sometimes when we don't have something for a period of time, it, it kind of just helps us get that in perspective. I don't think it's a long period of time. And then after that person, because when somebody hasn't partaken of the sacrament for a little bit, I'll ask them, you know, after they'll say, hey, this is the week, you know, I want you to partake of the sacrament. And I'll say, I want you to report to me back and tell me, you know, how it was. And they'll always say, oh, Bishop, it was so awesome. It was so awesome. I protected the sacrament day. It meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes that might be a helpful thing is for them to recognize how important it is. And sometimes we can't feel that unless we don't have something for a period of time. You know, there's other restrictions that we might place on somebody when they commit sin. Or, but one of the things that I find, again, this is my personal opinion and my feelings. And one of the things that the handbooks say a lot of things, but they leave a lot of open end opportunities for you to follow the Spirit. And I think as a bishop, that's what you have to do because each individual is different. But what I find is there may be restrictions I might put on somebody, but I also find, for example, if if I'm working with somebody, I've got some major challenge or difficulty, I don't know that I don't want them to have a church calling always because I think if they don't have a church calling, they're not serving. So don't I want them to serve? Don't I want them to have a reason to come to church and to serve and to feel good? And so I kind of think about things in context. If I want them to do things that cause them to feel good, they're going to draw them closer to Jesus Christ. And they're going to want to make them be better and do better. And sometimes I think when we restrict too much or for too long, I think that's a little worries. That person's discouraged. And and then we kind of lose that whole process of repentance is what we're trying to do is we're trying to draw them close to the Savior. We're not trying to get them to fall away from the Savior. We want them to draw close to him. Right. And I think we need to remember that point when we're trying to work with somebody with whatever their circumstances are. And service is a great way to draw closer to Christ. I mean, we're commanded to have charity. We're commanded to love one another and love our neighbor. Those are important ways for us to feel the Spirit and for us to strengthen our relationship with Jesus Christ. So a bishop may feel like somebody couldn't have a church calling away, but you could certainly say, hey, I want you to have a ministering assignment. One of the other things I'll say to people is I'll say, listen, I would like you just to pay attention to your family and the people that are around you. I'd like you to serve them. I'd like you to do things for them that make their life better, that make them feel better. I want you to focus on that. The other thing that I think is funny is I think we need to keep things in perspective and we need to keep things in balance. I'll tell somebody, hey, I'm not expecting that when you go out of here today that you're going to spend the next 24 hours reading your scriptures and saying prayer. I want you to just take some small increments. I want you to read a little bit of Book of Mormon. I want you to say your prayers. I want you to focus on doing anything that feels good and brings light and hope. Now, the caveat feels good. I don't want you to go out and sin because sometimes sin feels good in the short term. But for example, your favorite ice cream brings happiness and joy, then go get your favorite ice cream. If going to a movie, seeing a good movie brings light and hope in your life, then go do that. If your favorite fish taco place, if whatever those things are, not just, I think truth and goodness and feeling good comes from a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And it's not just when we read our scriptures. And so I'll tell them, Any of those things that bring light and hope and make you feel like you want to do better and be better. And you're still flying 500 feet above the trees. Right. Do all those things. (laughs) You know, read your scriptures, say your prayers, have a yogurt, go down and do some shopping, 
because sometimes we get in these these places and you know we'd stop doing all those things yeah i like the idea of the variety not just the spiritual but we draw joy from a lot of different things from being in nature from being with friends from having your favorite ice cream i love that so i just close out with have you felt the lord help you heal the hearts of those trying to come into christ and move past their struggles with sin and you talked a little bit about that with you know, you feeling the love of Christ through you for them. You know, I'm a Release Society president in our ward, and I do feel that. And it's interesting because I don't know half these people. I only moved here three years ago to San Clemente. So for me, it's been an interesting experience to see the love I have for these women and their families and the concern I have. And they're constantly in my thoughts, and they never were before. And I really care about what's happening to them and their kids, you know, and it's interesting. I have felt that feeling of pure love for another person. And that is not me. That is Christ working through me. And I love that you touched on that earlier. See, I love this. So I love that you feel that too, because I've had, it's my last Relief Society present. She said that too, you know, she said that she could feel that. And I think that's, that's a wonderful thing just to be able to recognize and also that Heavenly Father allows us to feel because I think it helps us to be able to be and do so much better. Yeah. Right? Because we're imperfect and we have these feelings all the time about whatever, negative feelings, and we don't handle things always the right way. But when he does that for us, it helps us learn and grow and be more than we can be. Was there anything else that you'd like to leave us with? Well, so let me ask you this. So I guess as I think you say, you know, how else? I, one of the things that as a bishop, there's lots of circumstances I don't, you know, know how to deal with. And Heavenly Father gives me feelings and thoughts on what to do. And I'm really grateful for that. You know, I'm not somebody who has all wisdom and all knowledge. I use lots of other resources. I'm really a big fan of counseling. I send lots of people to see a counselor. And I don't call them a counselor because we have lots of negative connotations with counseling in our world that, mm-hmm. hey, if you're going to a counselor, there must be something wrong with you. Well, how about if it's just a coach that specializes in something and they're going to help you work past something, you have some trouble that's causing you some trouble from progression in your life, they're going to help you get past it mm-hmm. or they're going to help you be better. So I utilize a lot of those resources. LDS Social Services is really good. There's lots of LDS counselors that are really great. But Heavenly Father kind of helps me as a bishop just to know I've had feelings and thoughts sometimes that seem kind of weird. Really? That's, you want me to do that? Or I'm not sure I want to do that. And one of the things I've learned now, I mean, probably better than before, I mean, is that I kind of act on those things, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it seems a little bit weird. Sometimes when I'm dealing with somebody in my office or one of the things that happens with single adults is things happen really fast. I mean, in their lives and things are moving quick and and it happens in the repentance process times. It happens a little faster, too. I want them to be able to go back to the temple as quickly as they can that makes sense we can get them there. I want them to experience their patriarchal blessing or that next thing that they're ready for as quickly as we reasonably can. Not saying that I don't want to make sure we take time to do all the things we need mm-hmm. to do, but I want them to be able to experience that because those are the things that are going to build faith and hope and testimony and make them want to continue to do good things and be better. Mm-hmm. Totally. I agree completely. Thank you so much for your time. This was a wonderful discussion on repentance. Thank you. And I want to thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. We encourage you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Simply click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast. We read all your comments and it really helps us to grow. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Search Podcast What Now. 
We never say goodbye. We say what now? Find out by tuning into our next podcast. This has been a What Now podcast production.